they do that. Now, to the business at hand. Now, none of this counted against my time, okay? I'm just, I was just talking now. Um, any basketball fans here that you're not ashamed of, okay? Well, I, I notice a red car outside. Is that yours, Mike? He's parked way out on the side out there. Uh, so anyway, I've got connections to both schools. I just haven't been a pastor. I have to love everybody. Uh, now basketball season is coming. Is anybody happy that basketball season has started? Other than the, maybe our Cards fans aren't real happy, but it's going to get better. They've got a wonderful man there, Kenny Payne. I think he'll do some good things if they'll just wait on him and give him some time. He'll build it right. I'm going to give you an illustration today and using the illustration of a basketball play called the give and go play. Do you all know what I'm talking about when I say the give and go play? Let me share with you a little bit about it. It's a, it emphasizes teamwork. Now, would that apply to a church? It emphasizes teamwork. Joe Lapchick, who was the men's basketball coach at St. John's University, uh, invented that play and sort of coined that phrase, and he won the National Invitational Tournament, and back then it was the tournament. Now it's a secondary tournament. It was the tournament in those days. He won it in 1943, 1944, 1959, a year after uh, Kentucky won their championship with Adolph Rupp, the last one he won, and then he won it again in 65. The give and go is where you have the ball, and you are willing to give the ball up to somebody, and then you make a sharp cut to the goal, very often receiving the ball back, and very often it ends in a what? A slam dunk, and people just love that. Three-point shots and slam dunks, we, we love it. It emphasizes teamwork. I'm going to read you a story in just a minute about a young man that had no concept of teamwork. He had no concept of the give and the go principle. And, uh, yeah, that'd be fine. The give and go principle. And uh, it's found in Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. Thank you, Lori. Lori's always thinking of others. I don't know why she doesn't apply that to Chad, but anyway. No, she does. She does. He did a good day's work when he landed her. Look at Mark 10, 17 through 22. You're going to see a young man that didn't have any concept of being thankful in this Thanksgiving season as we're thinking about our teamwork, our giving, and going. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up. He knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, and that's God. Now, let me stop right there. This is not the sermon, but Jesus made, he, he taught him something right there if he'd been listening, and that is that Jesus is God. Jesus is good. He said no one is perfectly good except God, and we know that Jesus was perfectly good, right? In, in an indirect way, he was showing, I'm not just a prophet. I am God come in human flesh. So we might want to go back and you could camp on that quite a while. And Jesus said to him, Well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, don't defraud, fraud, 
honor your father and your mother. And listen to this. And the young man said back to him, well, teacher, I've done all these from my youth. I've been doing all that already. Verse 21, then looking at him, can you parents imagine how he looked at him? He turned and looked at him. And here's the reason I chose Mark's version of this. It says that Jesus loved him. That's only one of the three synoptic gospels that mentioned that part. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark mentioned that Jesus loved him before he spoke back to him. He said, well, you're lacking one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then, then come and follow me. But he was stunned at this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The footnote down there says he became very gloomy. He was gloomy. He did not understand the concept of give and go, did he? He didn't understand the concept of, of being thankful for what he had. When I was at uh, Southern Seminary, William Willimon, who, I'm going to say a bad word here, but y'all forgive me for it. William Willimon, who was the dean of the chapel at Duke University, preached there at Southern Seminary on how to witness or preach to people who have everything. He said, you know the old style of evangelism of coming up to a man and saying, you know your life is miserable, you're without hope, you're not happy, and you're not going to be happy till you meet the Lord. He said, it's really hard to get through to a man with that statement that has a BMW in one side of the garage and, a, and maybe a Porsche or a Mercedes or something in the other. They think they are happy. They feel like they are happy. He said, so how do you witness to someone like that? And that would be someone like this young man here, wouldn't it? That thinks, at least, they have everything and they are materially happy. He said, what you have to do is help them realize to whom they need to be thankful for what they have. Strictly secular, well-to-do people do not realize that they owe God a gratitude of thanks for the many blessings that they maybe have worked hard for and most of the time take for granted. He didn't understand that. He was not thankful. He didn't, he didn't understand uh, teamwork. And he was not ready to go to heaven when he died. His life demonstrated that. Now look at verse 17 and you see what you could call an oxymoron. That's two things in the same sentence that absolutely do not go together. It, it would be like saying UK and U of L all in the same sentence as if they were the same thing. They're not. They're different. Notice what he said here in verse 17 as we examine the scriptures. It's good to see what the scripture says about all this. It's not my opinion about it. See, he made it clear that everyone wants to go to heaven. Now, does everyone here want to go to heaven? Maybe not right now, but you want to go to heaven. There is an old uh, Negro spiritual called everybody uh, wants to go to heaven, but everybody ain't going there. And uh, look that up on your computer sometime, and you can see it, it's in some historical uh, archives recorded back in like 1939 in this old, you can tell a very old, old lady singing that. 
heaven, heaven. Everybody been talking about heaven, but everybody ain't going there. Now, uh, Mahalia Jackson, some of you are old enough to remember Mahalia Jackson, a wonderful black gospel singer. She could sing the notes off the page. She sang that song and made it very careful. And, and part of the lines there said, everybody ain't going to heaven but those who do the will of God. And then Mahalia Jackson said, you got to do more than just talk about it. You got to do more than just talk about it. This young man was ready to talk about it. He said, matter of fact, he said, oh, Lord, I've done all these things. But he wasn't actually, he was talking about the things. He wasn't doing what was necessary to know the Lord. Notice the contrast he said that I pointed out. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Two totally different concepts. When you inherit something, you receive that because someone else wants you to have it. And you don't necessarily do a thing to earn it. He could have said, well, what must I do to go to heaven? I could have understood that. Or he could have said, how can I inherit eternal life? He didn't say it that way. He put the two thoughts together and you can see his idea of works salvation. What must I do to inherit. So he, he's really talking about two contradicting terms there. And it's very clear to see he didn't understand what we know as the gospel. He just didn't understand it. He was not as well off as he thought he was. He was obviously not a teammate. And he was not prepared to go to heaven because his heart and his attitude had not been changed. And his actions demonstrated that. But let me mark again uh, there that Mark said, Jesus loved him. And parent, are there any parents here, by the way? Sure. Now, did your children always want to hear all of the instruction that you gave them? Huh? Were they like mine? Every time I tell my children something they didn't want to do, uh, they'd say, oh, thanks, Dad. You know, I was wrong about that. And I sure do appreciate you straightening me out on that. And I'm going to do it just exactly because that's what you want me to do. Michael back there said he didn't do it that way. I don't know what's going on. That's not the way it is, is it? And, and see, he could probably, Jesus could probably see the look on that young man's face, couldn't he? But Jesus loved him. Now, parents, because you love your children, you just tell them just exactly what they want to hear and nothing else? Is that how you do it? No, if you want to raise a spoiled brat, do it that way. And then you can deal with them later after they're living in your basement for the rest of their life. Okay. So Jesus loved him. Let me make that clear. Jesus loved him. And he told that young man what he not wanted to hear, but what, but what he needed to hear. And he offered him some coaching. Now I want you in this, the basketball season's come up and they really show in the huddles when uh, someone calls timeout. And I'm afraid that UK and UofL both are going to be calling a lot of timeouts this year. If you ever notice on the sideline, it's very easy to see if those young men are really listening and getting what the coach is saying. I want you to look at some of them. Some of them cannot look that coach in the face and listen to them. Some of them are looking up on the monitor to see if they're on TV. And some of them, they, they tend to maybe resent because they, maybe they know how they want to do it. 
And the Coach Calipari said a week or so ago that they didn't even run the plays that he was telling them to run. Matter of fact, what did he say? He said they don't even know how to run the plays. That's pretty rough for a $9 million a year coach to have to say that, wasn't it? So, but we love our children and we tell them what they need to hear. Jesus loved him and he told him what he needed to hear, whether he wanted to hear it or not. He offered him some coaching. The key is, are we willing to receive the coaching that the Lord gives us? Let me share a little story with you. This comes from Dr. John Carter, who was a prolific writer, one of the most humble men I've ever met in my life. He taught my grandfather. Imagine that. He taught my grandfather in college. And I got to know him and meet him back in the 70s when I worked for the Agricultural Experiment Station. And we were in the same church with him. I can look back now and see what an impact he had on my life. He had two PhDs in New Testament Greek, by the way, so he knew what he was talking about. He said this, Jesus, by instructing him to sell his possessions, gave, give the proceeds to the poor, pr proved to him that he had not kept all the commandments as he had claimed. You're out at Sturgis, someone comes into your tent, you share your story with them, and you say something like, uh, would you like to have this, this assurance that I have in your life? And they'll say, oh, I'm okay. I believe in God. And they're ready to walk away. Well, believing in God is a wonderful thing. And it's, it, it's a must. It's a good place to start. But uh, James was talking about someone that had that attitude. And he said, oh, you believe in God? Well, that's great. But by the way, the demons believe in God too. The demons believe in God, but they don't trust in God. Do you see the difference in believing about God and believing in God? And this is where this young man was as a matter of fact in Matthew 8 29 it tells us there once where the demons themselves recognized Jesus as the son of God they called him the son of God but they didn't believe in him and they didn't follow him this is where this young man was and so Dr. Carter says he just used that example to show him that you're not yet ready to believe in me and to follow me and thus be ready for the kingdom of God and for heaven when you die then he goes on to say the question arises well why did Jesus impose this hard requirement on this young man especially as Mark asserts that he loved him well I'm saying he told him that way because he did love him the same requirement was not made of the four fishermen or of Matthew he says but the fishermen did forsake their boats and nets and Matthew did forsake his very lucrative tax collecting business. So they did give up something, didn't they? Because they believed in Jesus and they were willing, because they believed in him, they were willing to follow him. So they did give up something. Dr. Carter goes on to say, we wish we knew if that young man ever thought this over. And maybe, have you ever walked away from, from something yourself, walked away from a truth and you realize that person knew what they were talking about? Or maybe God knew what he was talking about. I'm going to go back and visit that and, and run that through again. And we can only hope, can't we, that he did that. But we don't know because we don't hear anything else about it. But see, the young man rejected Jesus' coaching. He did not understand the give and the go principle. He didn't make the team as a result. And he demonstrated that he was not ready for the kingdom of God. He was not as well off 
as he thought he was. And on top of that, as I said earlier, he was not a thankful person. People that really know the Lord in a relationship kind of a way are thankful to the Lord for what they've done. He didn't have the, the paradigm shift. He didn't have the change of worldview. He didn't have <clears throat> the faith that he needed to really believe in God and to follow Jesus as a result. I want to compare him to somebody. If y'all bring up that Luke 19 verse, or if y'all want to turn to Luke 19, we have a very similar situation <clears throat> with a tax collector, with a crooked guy, with a sinner, and his name was Zacchaeus. And we find Zacchaeus sitting up in a tree in Luke the 19th chapter. He wanted to see Jesus. This young man wanted to see Jesus. You can tell the young man respected Jesus. He walked up to him. He knelt down before him. He called him good master. He just didn't want to follow what Jesus wanted him to do. Zacchaeus is a totally different reaction. And you can see after Zacchaeus met the Lord and was willing to come down out of the tree, was willing to take Jesus home with him, was willing to listen to Jesus and be a follower. Notice what Zacchaeus said. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Can y'all see the difference between these two people? Zacchaeus was a member of the team. Zacchaeus, because his life, his spiritual life was changed, was ready to understand giving away earthly priorities. And in and, and helping other people. And most of all of willingly following the Lord. He had what you call a paradigm shift. He saw reality a different way. And folks we who know the Lord need to go back to that time when we didn't know the Lord. We, we get to forgetting what it's like to be lost. We get to forgetting what it's like to not know. Well what would happen to me tonight if I were killed in a car wreck? Where would I be? Where would I spend eternity? See, we've been away from that long enough. It doesn't register with us anymore. And we need to help lost people see that. The rich young ruler did, didn't see that. He thought he had already done enough to go to heaven when he died. And Jesus said, you're not as well off as you think you are. You don't understand the give and go principle. Your heart has not been changed. It's obvious that Zacchaeus' life was changed. So how do we apply all this to our daily life? Your eternal destiny depends on whether or not you've understood and practiced as a result the give and go principle. I'm not saying you earn your salvation by doing these things. You do these things because you've genuinely been saved to start with. And it changes your personality. It changes your want to. It changes in whom you put your confidence and that is Jesus Christ. And so folks, what we do out here in everyday life is a pretty good demonstration of how it is in here. Would you agree with that? What we do in everyday life, how we behave, how we react to other people, how we react to the Lord, demonstrates how we really are in our heart. And this young man didn't demonstrate that. What does it mean to understand the give and the go principle as a thankful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to give up worldly priorities and give your life to the Lord. Now, that's what we call down in Mississippi where I'm from. That's what they call getting saved. That's the way they would say it down there. He got saved last night. Giving up your way 
and giving your life to the Lord in repentance of sin is getting saved, as they say down south. As a result, then, you will go with Jesus. You will go with Jesus. And then you'll give your life in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of love. You know, you don't have to believe in the Lord. You don't have to trust the Lord. You certainly don't have to follow the Lord. But you'll want to if you really know Him. If you're really a thankful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will want to because your want to has been changed by the Lord. Your heart has changed. Your worldview has changed. Your want to has changed. And your behavior is different. As a result, you'll go with the Lord and you'll love serving Him. And as we honestly evaluate our life, we can tell how we really are in our heart with the Lord. Neil Mays wrote in the upper room this little thing, and I want to share this with you. Parts of the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas are among the poorest areas of the United States. Even so, the residents of that area are models of charitable giving and charitable living. As a child, I attended pie suppers, making my mouth water already, to raise money for people who had fallen on hard times. Can y'all remember? I can remember as a little kid they would have down south, they called them cakewalks. They'd put those cakes out there and you'd walk around in a circle and when music stopped, if you were standing by that cake, you got to get the cake or got to bid on it or whatever. These events were often attended by hundreds of people armed with baked goods for auction and ready to pay $100 for a cake or a pie. And this tradition is still alive today, he says. See, their attitude of giving and going reflected the attitude of their heart. Our neighbor Flora used to say, share and you'll always have plenty. And she was quick to help others with food and flowers and kind words. And when Flora faced tragedy of her own, she became the recipient of our community's love and generosity. It just kind of works that way, doesn't it? See, their attitude had been changed by the Lord. And then he puts in a personal comment about his own family and about his dear wife. God puts people in our lives who help us to do God's will. When I was young, the people in the area, along with my parents and grandparents, taught me the importance of caring for others. Today, my wife reminds me to slow down. Have y'all ever needed to do that? Slow down. Everybody take a deep breath. It just it helps to slow down and look for ways to help others. She has the ability to notice needs that I tend to overlook. I'm thankful that she finds meaningful opportunities to share with others the blessings that God has provided us. See, she is a thankful person because her life has been changed by Jesus Christ and her actions demonstrate that. Now she is teaching our children a deeper understanding of the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to write that down, that is Acts 20, 35. Acts 20, 35. Paul realized it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he's virtually paraphrasing what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8. Where Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely you should give. You should understand, if you know me as Savior, you'll understand the give and the go principle of life. 
So see people who have genuinely trusted the Lord as their Savior. And then they followed the Lord as a result. They have this attitude about them because their life has been changed. And from the scripture and from this man's story here about what his neighbors taught him, what his grandparents taught him, what his parents taught him, what his wife is still teaching him, that this give and go principle of being thankful to God and sharing with others and demonstrating that you know the Lord, it is a coachable practice. It is a teachable practice. And it is a generational practice. Have you ever noticed in families that uh, you tend, I, I know some families you can see some of the same type of behaviors and problems that are generational. That are generational. Grandparents teaching their parents. Parents teaching their children. And you see those practices, both good and bad, passed down through the generation. So those of you who are parents, realize this is teachable to your children. Grandparents, this is teachable to your grandchildren. By the way, grandparents, do y'all still think these kids are cute? I just want, I've got to know that. Sometimes when I ask some of these grandmothers that they look at me like, what planet did you come from? These are teachable, demonstrable gospel principles. The give and go principles. Do you know the Lord? Have you followed the Lord? Are you demonstrating that you know and are following the Lord by the lifestyle you live and your attitude? Isn't this a wonderful time of the year to be thinking about that? We're celebrating... Uh, 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 let me see, about three pounds ago, I started uh, celebrating Thanksgiving, about three pounds ago. And I said, I got to get back on that diet, and then I look up, and Christmas is coming. We are blessed people, aren't we? Amen. We are blessed. And we cannot fully understand and appreciate these blessings until we're thankful for them. And we demonstrate we, that we know the Lord and we demonstrate that we're thankful for what he's done for us in sharing those blessings with others. In sharing those blessings with others. Do you, any of you think that a University of Kentucky fan might have told the story about them winning that ball game yesterday? Has anyone got any idea? Has anyone said anything about that, you think? Sure they did. And no one had to tell them to do it, right? They were happy about it. And they told about it. And let's be that way with the gospel. Let's bow together as our musicians come now and we prepare for the invitation. And by the way, it's God's invitation. It's not mine. It's God's invitation. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And that's enough. Just who you are. And then on top of that, Lord, thank you for what you do for us. And help us, first of all, to be thankful for what you've done. And then help us, believers and unbelievers alike, to be willing to believe in you. And then to follow you. And then to demonstrate that we truly have believed in and we truly are following you by sharing these blessings with others. 
Help us not to leave the worship service like that young man, gloomy and dejected over things. But leaving, thinking about how we can express our thankfulness to you. How we can practice the give and go principle and in the end do a slam dunk for you and for your kingdom. It will honor you, Lord. It will help those people and it will bless us in the process. Now help us, Lord, to do it as we leave here serving you today in Christ's name. Amen.